0: Good morning to you. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying your first Saturday of summer. The days get shorter from here. This is the Beyond the Game program recording in the BTG studio in Rochester, New York. We're glad to have you along and glad you can be part as we talk sports through this next hour and mix in faith perspectives along the way. I'm Rick Benson, and joining me is the program's producer, Zach Barletta. You can follow us on your favorite social media platform, Our handle is at BTG Program, or stop by our website, btgprogram.com. This past week, one of our former co-hosts, Darren Metzger, one of the originals on the BTG program, moved his family to San Diego. We certainly wish him all the best of luck there. But another former co-host, Pastor Shane, texted us this week that he listened to last week's show and that we did not even mention, to his obvious disappointment, that his beloved Pittsburgh Penguins had won the Stanley Cup. So I told him we would, and now we have, so on to something else. (laughs) To be honest, though, what what were we going to say? If he wanted more in-depth coverage or analysis, turn to another talk show. What we do is we take sports, we try to make a biblical connection, and then segue from the sports into that spiritual lesson. And we all know that there's nothing godly about the Pittsburgh Penguins.
1: Well, that's the truth.
0: I know you're a fan, Shane, but I think I'm close to being able to prove biblically that rooting for them will cause you to lose your salvation. Of course, I'm taking liberty with some passages and taking others out of context, but isn't that what you do with your sermons anyway? <laughs> of course, I'm just kidding. I, I'm just kidding. He's right. How did we miss that, Zach? I mean, we talk a fair amount of hockey on this program, and I know we've talked several times in the weeks leading up to it about the Pittsburgh Penguins specifically, but we didn't touch on them last week. Is that accurate? Who produces the show anyway?
1: I don't know, but that guy clearly was slacking last week.
0: <laughs> as long as we brought up the NHL, how great was it to see Ottawa Senators goalie Craig Anderson win the Bill Masterton Trophy?
1: Oh, it was fantastic. I, You kind of knew going in that, it was going to be his, but to see him get it was fantastic. He went through a lot last year, and his wife went through a lot. So it was a really feel-good story for sure.
0: Yeah, to be recognized for supporting his wife through the cancer and at the same time being able to return and play it at, at really was a very high level, not only physically, but the mental toughness and focus that that requires. But I think it's cool that the NHL even gives an award for perseverance, sportsmanship, dedication to the game. That's a cool award.
1: Just another thing that hockey does better than anyone else.
0: Now you did a lot of tweeting the other night about the expansion draft, <laughs> yeah. Um, so much so, and I know you're a Rangers fan, but you seem to have a rooting interest in these nights. Is that how I'm, am I reading that right?
1: I'm just really interested in it, in the whole process. It's done differently than it's this year than it's ever been done before, and it's you know the opportunity to see a brand new team where there was no team, and to see. It's been interesting because of the format that the expansion has been done, all the wheeling and dealing, the trading that they're doing. They're being traded assets from other teams to guarantee that they won't take certain players from those teams. I'm just fascinated by the whole process.
0: I think they were able to put together what looks like a pretty solid team. Mm. I think they'll be okay. I think the way League handles all the leagues, the way they handle their expansion teams now, they put teams in a position to be competitive right out of the gate. I mean – That's not so much the issue anymore as maybe paying and keeping that talent to remain competitive. A Wednesday night in Seattle, Tigers ace Justin Verlander took a perfect game into the sixth inning. After five and one-third innings of a perfect game, the Mariners, Jared Tyson, bunts with one out to break it up. Some are calling that Bush League. I, however, say good for him. What are your thoughts, Zach?
1: I think we've talked about this before on the show. I'm not a big fan of the unwritten rules of the game. I mean, is it the goal to win the game? And don't to win the game, don't you have to get on base? You I know? agree.
0: I got no problem with this. Look, bunting to break up a no-hitter is frowned upon, especially by old-school types, and I, mm. I tend to be one of those. But in this instance, it was only the sixth inning. And really, it was one out into the sixth inning.
1: And on top of that... Justin Verlander, I would kind of consider one of those old-school types. He came out and said afterwards that he had no problem with it.
0: Right. And I, I, I you, know. i I think I'm if sorry. you're the
1: Tigers and you give up a bunt single to a guy whose only skill at baseball is being really fast, then you kind of deserve it.
0: I know announcers like to start talking no-hitter early in games. I, I mean, I suppose it's their job to some extent to create interest, build excitement. But come on, five and a third innings is hardly a very serious no-hit bid at that point. I mean, I guess because it's Verlander, you can take it a little more seriously, mm-hmm. but it was 4 nothing. Can't exactly call it a tight ball game, but it's definitely not out of hand. It's still potentially within one swing. And adding validity to our view here is the fact that the Mariners ended up winning the game, and Dyson's hit ended up sparking a three-run inning to mm-hmm. bring them within one. I mean, the Mariners are competing for a playoff spot. They got off to a rough start. They're beginning to put it together, though. A bunt single in the middle innings of a game that they need, it's not only within the rules, it's a smart play. I mean, as you said, Dyson helped his team win. On September 4th, 1993, Zach, I was sitting in the right field seat at Yankee Stadium. Jim Abbott, he was pitching for the Yankees that day against the Cleveland Indians. and As many of you know, Abbott was born without a right hand. But he threw a no-hitter that day. This was just 10 days after he gave up 10 hits and and seven runs, pitching three in the third innings, I think, during the Indians. But I bring this up because this was pretty stinking cool to be a part of. It was right about the fifth or sixth inning, I remember, when the electricity started to build in the crowd and you started to wonder, well, what if? It was really the very early part of what I would call a no-hit bid, not something we were... Hey, we're in the fifth, sixth inning. We're not really taking it seriously at the point, but we're beginning to wonder. Wouldn't be shocked if he gave up a hit. But I will say the electricity in the crowd, it was electric. And, and I'll tell you, it just built with each out. It was really cool to be a part of it. But the game meant nothing to the Indians. I'm, I'm using this as a comparison to this middle-of-the-season game between the Tigers and the Mariners. This was a game in September, When the Indians, both the Yankees and the Indians, were in the AL East at the time, the Yankees were two games behind Toronto going in. The Yankees were in second place. But the Indians were 12 and a half games behind. The game meant nothing. In the ninth inning, obviously, Abbott's still working no-hitter. Kenny Lofton, who eventually would play for the Yankees, Mm -hmm. leads off with a bunt attempt. Trying to get a hit in the ninth inning of a game that means nothing to his team and break up a no-hitter by getting a one-handed pitcher to field the ball. Now, Lofton was serenaded with booze after the cheap bun attempt. He eventually fouled that off and eventually ground out to second, but that was Bush League. What Dyson did in the sixth inning during a game in June, I don't think so much. Coming up on today's show, the WNBA Seattle Storm has partnered with a sponsorship deal with abortion provider Planned Parenthood. The team will run a game day promotion with the, well, excuse me, healthcare provider, I, as you can quite imagine, I'm not a fan of this. And the New York Yankees have returned from one of their famous West Coast disappointments. Didn't play all that badly, apart from the bullpen, I guess. And I suppose Masahiro Tanaka still struggling. Either way, they still won only one game out there. And while they were out there, they found out that they will not be able to call up one of their top prospects to replace a veteran who really hasn't been able to hit water if he had fallen out of a boat. Of course, we'll have regular features such as shenanigans, a Team Tebow mention, and you like that. And you may want to stick around for this. Later in the program, Zach will share how he used his beard to provide shelter for a homeless family during a recent thunderstorm. That's all coming up today on the Beyond the Game program with Rick Benson and Zach Barletta. Let me tell you about Town & Country Pest Solutions. They've been in business for nearly three very successful decades. They have the experience to tackle any pest problem. Covering Rochester, Syracuse, Buffalo, Albany, Watertown, any place that can pick up this radio station is somewhere Town & Country Pest Solutions takes on pests and critters of all kinds. Town & Country's technicians are friendly, professional, and most importantly, they're knowledgeable. Bees, wasps, roaches, ants, bats, mice, call Town & Country. Even raccoons or larger animals. Call Town & Country. Have a bed bug problem or just want to check and make sure that you don't have a bed bug problem? Call Town & Country. Early detection is key when it comes to bed bugs. So if you suspect a potential problem, call Town & Country Pest Solutions today. Town & Country's success rate and their guarantee are both well above industry average. Call Town & Country Pest Solutions today. 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. And let their team of professionals handle whatever pest problem you may have. Or visit them online. Town and Town and Country Pest Solutions, fearing nothing but God. It's here. Ram Sports Network. Christian Sports Television. That's right. Christian Sports Television. Ram Sports Network is the first Christian Sports TV channel with programming from Pooley to the Pros. Games, events, sports talk, fitness and nutrition. Sports missions, Western sports, and sports ministry. We're spreading the gospel through sports. Watch us now at ramsportsnetwork.com or find us on the Roku channel store. Ram Sports Network, more than a game. And now it's time for the most awesome thing I saw this week.
1: Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part
2: of the team. I don't believe what I just saw. Yes, that's awesome.
0: Zach, have you seen the video of Tigers Miguel Cabrera from Wednesday night's game in Seattle, the same game we were just talking about with Verlander?
1: I haven't. You told me about it and I definitely need to go see it.
0: He chases a foul ball towards the stands down the first base line. As he approaches the fence, he realizes he's not going to be able to catch the ball. He notices a fan there in the front row who has a good beard. And the fan has got is sort of looking at the watching the flight of the ball. So he's got his head turned by the way, his beard not nearly as spectacular as yours. Thank you. But with the fan turned away, Cabrera sort of reaches his glove up and strokes the guy's beard and squeezes it in a playful <laughs> manner. And I, I just always think it's so awesome when you see players interact with fans in such a you know yeah. good-natured way. Why don't we get into this week's shenanigan statements?
1: All right, let's do it. Cavs owner Dan Gilbert created an uproar this weekend when he fired the team's GM without consulting LeBron James. So, truth or shenanigans? Gilbert should have asked LeBron's opinion first.
0: I say shenanigans. LeBron doesn't own the team. He doesn't sign the checks, although I guess he does sort of provide the money for those checks. <laughs> He's a player, LeBron is. And while it may have been classy, I think, to at least throw it by him, Gilbert doesn't need to do that. When you have someone as part of your organization who's important to it as LeBron is to Cleveland, it's probably a step I would have taken. I probably would have said hey man, here's what I'm thinking about doing, but uh, what do you think? No, I I think shenanigans that he has to do that.
1: I say shenanigans as well. Um, At the end of the day, you're LeBron James's employer. Your general manager is also, in a way, LeBron James's employer. Um, Unless your plan is to make LeBron the GM, you don't really have to clear it with him first. You know, LeBron's going to have his say in the player decisions, and that's a fact, but no, at the end of the day, no. You don't have to clear it with him first. The Vegas Golden Knights will have a winning record this year in their inaugural season.
0: You know, we talked about this too briefly during the opening, and I, I agree. They got a really good goaltender, more than one good goaltender. They they got they got some good talent off other teams' rosters. I um yeah, I, I think they will. I think they'll even be in the hunt for the playoffs.
1: I say shenanigans. Part of that is based on the fact that they've already traded away two of the defensemen that they drafted. They are, I think, planning for the long haul. They're looking for draft picks. They're looking for young players. Well, I don't think they'll be bad. Uh, I think the worst record for an expansion team in their first season was an 8-win team. They're not going to be that bad. Um, They'll probably be around 500, but I don't think you could consider them a contender or even somebody that will have a winning record. You
0: just said they'll be around 500, so... I mean, if they're a game or two over, then...
1: Yeah, anything's possible. Like you said, a goalie can get hot and steal some games, and they have a pretty good goalie now in Marc-Andre Fleury. But I just, you know, a year or two down the road, absolutely. This year, I think maybe we should pump the brakes a little bit. Yankees' top prospect, Glaber Torres, was close to a promotion to be the Yankees' third baseman, but will now miss the rest of the season after tearing his UCL and undergoing Tommy John surgery. So truth or shenanigans, the Yankees will trade for a new third baseman. What do you think? When I wrote the question earlier this week, I thought for sure that it was going to be a yes. But the more I think about it, the more I think that they really would like to continue trying to fill the position from within. That was their plan with Torres. They have Tyler Wade at AAA, who is batting 300 with the stolen base total already in the teens. I think he hit well in spring trading. I think you could call him up and play him at third. They brought up Miguel Andujar from double-A to triple-A, he's batting 500 so far in in a short sample size at triple-A. I think the Yankees really are really laser-focused on keeping all of this youth that they've stockpiled and trying to fill from within. And the way Chris Carter and Greg Bird are going, they may need trade assets to trade for a stopgap at first base. So third base, I think, like it or not, is going to be a kid from within the system.
0: I I say shenanigans that they. I don't think they're going to trade for somebody. they got Tyler Wade, as you mentioned. Um, I think he gets the opportunity. There's still Ronald Torres, right? He's filled in magnificently at times. Yeah. And and truth be told, Hedley may yet pull out of the funk he's in. I mean, I see no reason that the Yankees should feel the need to give up anything at all to try and improve on the options they already have. I mean, who's really available? You're going to get a Martine Prado, Trevor Plouffe. Uh, Mike Moustakis is interesting, and that Mm -hmm. would only be a rental, which is really all the Yankees Mm -hmm. would want anyway. But- Why would you be willing to part with something as much as what the Royals would want? I don't think the Yankees will.
1: Dodgers outfielder Yasiel Puig, who defected from his native Cuba, said recently that his struggles over the last few years have been caused by the team trying to change aspects of his game and no longer allowing him to, quote-unquote, have fun. Truth or shenanigans, teams need to let Hispanic players just perform the way they've always played
0: aspects of his game being changed or why he's been playing the way he has?
1: Gonads are useful for their purpose, but they are no substitute for brains.
0: (laughs) I mean, stop. I don't know. Maybe I agree or maybe shenanigans. I don't don't know. What is the way they've always played? Look, you're part of a professional franchise now. You know, real uniforms and everything. You need to fit with the organization's philosophy. Mm. You need to fit with your teammates. Uh, You can't go rogue doing your own thing, but... I guess I don't know really what we're talking about. What does he mean the aspects of his game? If it's just admiring a home run like he did the other night against the Mets, have at it. I don't have a problem with that. No bat flips, but I don't have a problem with that. Some pitchers will, so, but that's really his problem.
1: Yeah, I say shenanigans as well. I, I understand they're dealing with a big culture change. He had to defect and sneak out of Cuba. He had to learn a new language and, and a new country and a new city, but... At the same time, like, the things that I remember the Dodgers trying to change about his game were things like his habit of throwing to the wrong base, or trying to gun a guy at the plate instead of hitting the cutoff man like he's supposed to, or taking off to steal bases at, at inappropriate times. He really needs to learn how to play the game the correct way, and he doesn't he hasn't ever showed a willingness to do that. So I could see where, you know, it's it's not pleasant to have to change sometimes, but To play the game at the highest level, you really need to.
0: When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Yankees and their loss of a top prospect. You're listening to the Beyond the Game program with Rick Benson and Zach Barletta. Time now for the Red Hawks report for our broadcast on June twenty fourth, 2017 the Red Hawks report is presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. No games to report on, but that doesn't mean that things are slow on the campus of Roberts Wesleyan College. The school's in the midst of a project replacing the synthetic turf on its athletic fields with a new upgraded field turf, and I know that the athletic department is excited about that as it is a needed improvement for the Red Hawks teams. And coming up is the 10th annual Red Hawk Golf Scramble at Mill Creek. That'll be happening on July 17th starting at 1130 a.m. The annual fundraiser helps secure scholarship funds for student athletes. If you would like more information or would like to register for the event, it includes a lunch and a dinner, you can call our good friend Hannah at 585-594-6193. Once again, that's Hannah. Give Hannah a call, 585-594-6193. We'll also be rolling out a new athletic website in the near future. We'll be showing that off at the upcoming golf tournament. There's also summer camps going on, huge summer camps. They'll actually start this coming Monday, but there is still room to get involved. So if you're looking for a fun full day summer camp, call 585-594-6778 or email them at camp at Roberts.edu. That is singular, camp at Roberts.edu. Lots of things still going on on the campus of Roberts Wesleyan College. That's the Red Hawks report for this week, June 24th, 2017. The Red Hawks report being presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. Follow Roberts Wesleyan Athletics on Twitter, at RWC RWCRedHawks, and get scores, highlights, and other bits of information pertaining to Roberts Wesleyan Athletics by visiting the RWC Athletics website, athletics.roberts.edu. This has been the Red Hawks report presented by Roberts Wesleyan College.
2: Do you know a high school athlete looking for a D2 college? Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts Wesleyan College. We're proud to be a serious athletic school with great opportunities for serious athletes. In fact, we have the only Division II athletic program in the area. Our many varsity programs range from basketball, tennis, and cross country to track and field, golf, volleyball, and soccer. Tell the young athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu.
0: Welcome back into the Beyond the Game program, Mixing Sports with Faith. We welcome in those who may be listening from the Netherlands. Thank you for downloading the podcast this past week. We do hope you enjoy today's show. Also want to say hello to those listening in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, San Francisco, California, and Niagara Falls, New York, all places where the Beyond the Game podcast was downloaded this past week. You know who was born in Niagara Falls, New York? The late Tommy Tedesco. Said to be, if you're not familiar with him, the most recorded guitarist in history. And you would know his work. He worked with everybody in the 60s, 70s, 80s. I didn't realize he was born in Niagara Falls. He's involved in a number of memorable TV theme shows, Bonanzas, uh, MASH, Twilight Zone. He can be heard on Richard Harris's MacArthur Park. And yes, it's that Richard Harris. Older folks know him as uh, King Arthur in the movie Camelot. Younger folks know him as Albus Dumbledore before he uh, the first two Harry Potter films before he passed away. Richard Harris's MacArthur Park featuring Tommy Tedesco. Also Niagara Falls, Daryl Johnston, technically Youngstown, but still Niagara Falls area, Daryl Johnston of the Cowboys, Syracuse, current Fox commentator, center fielder, former center fielder, Rick Manning, former Packers running back, James Starks. Not as many hockey players though as you might imagine. Born in Niagara Falls, although Adam Clendenning was born in Niagara Falls. I think he played last year with the Rangers. Free agent, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah,
1: kind of a sore spot because he should have played more and been brought back. But that's another story for another day.
0: Wherever you may be listening, we thank you for your support. You can subscribe to the Beyond the Game podcast. Have it sent to the device of your choice every week. Simply search for us on iTunes or visit our website, btgprogram.com. What a terrible trip for the New York Yankees out west. What did they have out there? One win? Yeah. Now, I will say a couple of those losses were by one run, and most of them were games where they had the lead or could have had the lead, but they had some bullpen issues, I mainly believe, Tyler Clippard.
1: Yeah, I believe every game in Oakland, in the sweep in Oakland, they they blew a lead in every single game.
0: Clippard, you know, he, he's one of those guys that has a had a really nice career. And I watching a game the other night, I couldn't help but feel bad for this guy going through a stretch like this. I mean, you look in his eyes as they show him my camera, he just looks lost. And I'm sure there's other teams that do this type of thing. And I know I'm a Yankees fan, so there's probably some bias here. But is there any other team that does both the big things and the small things as well or as classy as the Yankees? I mean, they can do the retirement celebrations. They can roll out the franchise great players, do the old-timers day better than anybody, in my opinion. But they also do those small things. I'm talking about things like when Derek Jeter and Andy Pettit came out to remove Mariano Rivera from the game Mm -hmm. during his last game at the stadium. Unheard of. But the other night when they finally got back into the win column, they had a big lead. They brought in Clippard to try to work through some of the long ball issues that he's been having. But after giving up a double and a home run, obviously it wasn't meant to be. So Joe Girardi goes out to the mound he keeps talking to him while he's out there. He signaled, signaled for Aroldis Chapman to come in, but he held him up at the mound knowing that he was going to get booed pretty soundly. Girardi lets him go to the dugout once Chapman's entry music starts blaring from the sound system, so you couldn't really hear the boos. I thought that was very classy, very, yeah. you know, it was great move by Girardi. In fact, there, there was one guy they showed on camera. He was yelling something to Clipper. The guy was seated right behind the Yankee dugout. Could have been words of encouragement, for all I know, but based on his uh, demeanor... Chances are,
1: being in the Bronx, it's not.
0: Well, I'll tell you, though, the fans weren't really as hard, and maybe, again, you couldn't hear the boos, but they weren't as hard as Clippard, on Clippard as I would have thought. Many gave him a nice round of applause. I, I think they know. They really need this guy to be right. They want to see him work through whatever this is. And I've always thought Yankee fans were pretty savvy. And I'm not meaning to put any other fan base down, but there are few fan bases as savvy about the game itself, reading between the lines, knowing what's going on outside just the baseball game, as places like Boston, New York, Chicago, Cincinnati, teams that have been with their fan bases for many years. And if I if I remember right, I'm trying to think back, I think they may have played okay out west, the Yankees, last year, but I don't—maybe th- it was a year before, but typically— they always seem to struggle out there. Mm. Like many people, we've talked about the depth of their farm system, how well they've done in developing and acquiring good young talent. And I guess it's a good thing because now another one of their top prospects has hit the DL and has lost for the season. Last year it was Greg Bird, who, by the way, still out again this year, having trouble getting finding his way back to the field. Earlier this year it was James Caprillion. Now it's Glaber Torres. He'll have to undergo Tommy John surgery after tearing his UCL in his left elbow. Number two prospect in all of baseball suffered the injury sliding headfirst into home plate. Obviously inspired by the recent Pete Rose statue unveiling in Cincinnati. That must be it. It's easy to sit here and second guess decision, which he'll have plenty of time to do as well, I guess. But I'm just so not a proponent of sliding headfirst. I know it's aggressive. I know a lot of guys can do it, and they can do it well. You see them able to pull their arms, switch their hands, avoid a tag, and it looks cool. But in my opinion, the risk of injury is just too high. I mean, is there any great benefit to sliding head first? Brian Cashman says otherwise, but many thought for sure Torres was about to be called up Soon to replace Headley at no, third? I thought so for sure. You know, we just talked about this a little bit in shenanigans. In fact, I think Darren was in studio with us a few weeks ago. You actually asked the question during shenanigans if Torres would replace Headley. And I actually didn't think so. I'm one of the few that believe Cashman. I think the Yankees were going to wait until this coming spring training. I don't think they were going to pull him up. But because the injury is to his non throwing arm, the Yankees do expect him to be back in time for spring training. Hey, look, he's only 20 years old. Why would mm-hmm. they rush the guy? Other than I get it, Headley's struggling so badly. But there are other options, as we just talked about. You asked whether he should be traded. And I know he was doing well, no doubt about it. I know it's a small sample size. But in 23 games at A, after he was promoted, he was hitting .309, two homers, 16 RBIs. I like all those numbers. But three oh nine in twenty three games to triple A is, is really not enough for me to want to see him rushed up just right. because Headley isn't hitting. There are other options. Now obviously Torres has to be disappointed. Things were going so well. He gets to reflect on it, plenty of time to think about what maybe he could have done differently to have avoided being in this circumstance where he's dealing with the disappointment, like maybe not sliding head first in the home plate. The Yankees, though, I'm sure they're disappointed by losing Torres, and this was completely out of their control. Sure, they expect injuries along the way, never knowing really who or where, but they expect those sorts of things, but it's disappointing all the same. I'm sure Tyler Clippard is disappointed. I'm sure Chase Headley is disappointed by the way their seasons are going. Headley hearing whispers of being replaced at some point. We can look back, and we can see disappointment all throughout Scripture. If you're taking in air and nourishment, then there are times when you deal with disappointment as well. Some of it you can control. Some of it you can expect, maybe even plan for, but yet it's still out of your control. But for some, it's completely unexpected, completely out of their control, and yet it happens all the same. Guys like King David, Moses, Abraham, Joseph, all dealt with disappointment, and most of it due to other people. Just think about Jesus' disciples in the gospel passages. They fully believed Jesus was the Messiah. They expected him to usher in the messianic kingdom. Imagine their disappointment when instead he was hung on a cross, crucified, and buried. Their hopes hopes died with him, were buried with him in that tomb. You've been there, I'm sure, dealing with that sort of disappointment where you counted on something, only to have those... Those dreams, those hopes dashed. Those plans dashed. You know, while it can be difficult to identify, there's always a bright side. You're familiar with the phrase, this has come to pass. Well, well, it's true. Things come to pass. People and circumstances which bring us disappointment will come, but they'll also pass. The disciples expected a messianic kingdom. But if they look past that disappointment after Christ was dead, after he was buried, they would see that God had a much bigger plan because Jesus died, but he also rose again to rescue all of humanity from the oppression of sin. His purpose wasn't just to bring out a change in some circumstances for a group of people on earth. His death, his resurrection, can change the eternal destination of anyone who turns to him. Now, that's a big plan. Disappointment? Disappointment is the first spark that attacks our faith. While it seems like something that's temporary, disappointment does, seems harmless, something that we just need to power through, it can halt our spiritual growth. It can leave us feeling bitter, defeated. When we place our expectations in people, we're often disappointed. Maybe a friend has betrayed you. Maybe your children have let you down in some way that maybe your spouse isn't meeting your expectations. Maybe the fact that you don't have a spouse or a significant other has left you disappointed with other people. The reality is that people will never be able to meet all your needs. They're just not sufficient to do that. Paul said of God, though, in 2 Corinthians twelve nine, "...and he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness." Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. There are parts of our lives only God can fill, only God can satisfy. His grace is sufficient. Disappointment with people, you know that should drive us to Him, seeking that fulfillment. I want to encourage you that no matter what you're going through, no matter how much disappointment you feel, Turn to God for hope. Don't let that disappointment fester, and don't let it become depression. Don't let it be a wedge between you and other people, or even worse, you and God. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Thanksgiving is the antidote, if you will, to disappointment. Of course, this is all very easy for me to say. You know, chin up, stiff upper lip and all. But no matter what you're going through, we can find something to be thankful for. If you're a believer, you can be thankful that your sins are forgiven. You can find joy knowing that he has good plans for your future, no matter how dark the current circumstances may seem. He's promised never to leave you. He's promised never to forsake you. All things we can be thankful for. We need to be able to leave disappointment in the past. We need to look ahead trusting in God's plans. In chapter 2 of the Old Testament book of Haggai, the Jews were disappointed by the new temple that had been built. They were comparing it to the first one, the first one which Solomon had built, sparing no expense, hiring all the best workers. They needed to stop complaining. They needed to stop comparing it and simply be thankful for this new temple that they had. Disappointment only grows when we compare ourselves to somebody else. Look at another set of circumstances, focus on how something used to be or how we think it ought to be. Those kinds of comparisons, you know, the good old days, they're rarely fruitful. There's not a lot of good in them. It didn't do the people of Haggai's day any good to think about how magnificent Solomon's temple was compared to their own work. But God told the prophet in verse 4, Be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work for I am with you. We must be willing, we have to be willing to let go of the past. The Jews had to let go of the, of their memories of that original temple. The new temple was never going to be as grand as the first, and they had to accept that. But it could still be pretty darn terrific. It may be that you need to let go of a painful memory. Maybe you need to forgive somebody, even though they'll never admit that they were wrong. As hard as it may be, if it's holding you back, if something is still a discouragement to you, then you need to let it go. You need to stop living in the past. And I know, I know it's hard. I know these things are easy to say, but until you do that, you will have a hard time moving ahead. One of my favorite scripture passages is Philippians chapter three, verses thirteen and fourteen. Paul says this, "Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do." Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul's looking ahead. He's he's not living in the past. And now remember, Paul used to be Saul. He has a pretty dark past. has a very violent past. I'm sure it's not pleasant to think about. He doesn't. He leaves those things and he keeps pressing forward towards the mark. We have to look ahead. The Jews in Haggai's day, man, they romanticized the past completely, you know, not even thinking about the future. And what was the future? In that second chapter of Haggai, verses 6 and 7, God talks about doing remarkable things, shaking the heavens and the earth. Is there a disappointment dominating your focus? Do you find yourself looking back more often than looking ahead? Do you ever find yourself making those kinds of useless comparisons? Look ahead. God might want to shake the heavens and the earth in your life. Do yourself a favor. Give it to God. Trust Him to take care of it and to bring you to a better place. What's the phrase? Let go, look up, and then look ahead. You can do it. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I'm Benson. He's Barletta. You're listening to the Beyond the Game program.
1: When I have a home remodeling project, whether interior or exterior, I call McAfee's Remodeling Company. Family owned for nearly two decades, McAfee's Remodeling Company is the name I trust. Mike McAfee put a new bathroom into my house three years ago, and I'm still getting compliments on it every time someone comes over to visit. Mike and his crew are experienced and professional, and you'll be thrilled with their work. So give McAfee's Remodeling Company a call today at 402-1070. That's 402-1070. Or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com.
0: Rick Benson along with Zach Barletta. Recording the Beyond the Game program from Rochester, New York. BTGprogram.com or at BTG Program. The Beyond the Game Program, it's a unique program among sports talk shows because of our faith-based content. And it's unique among faith-based programming because of its sports talk content. Very few shows combine the two. There's a handful. But when those of that handful do it, they usually do it in one of two fashions. Maybe it's an in-depth interview type of program where they profile someone from the sports world and highlight their faith journey. Or it may be more sports-focused, more of a sports talk show, but yet they leave you with a brief spiritual nugget, a brief thought to take home with you tied in. I'm not aware of any program which references as much scripture, does as much in-depth teaching, tries to balance its sports talk and its spiritual teaching as much as we do here. Now, of course, it's just a radio program. There really isn't a right way or wrong way to do it. I'm not saying the way other folks do it is wrong. I'm not saying the way we do it is right. It comes down to the preference of the host, the producer, what they believe God has laid on their heart to do. And I say that because we enjoy very much talking sports And then segueing into a spiritual conversation that focuses on sound biblical teaching. Our sports talk is just that, sports talk. And then once we segue into a spiritual conversation, well, it's just that. It's a spiritual teaching. And we take it very seriously. Like any preacher, like any Bible teacher ought to do, we invest a good amount of time, prayer, energy, preparing the content that you hear on BTG. It's not very often where we do a segment like we're about to do, where we don't have sports conversations leading into the spiritual content, or where the subject matter is as heavy as what I think this is going to be. Sometimes I wonder if our society has reached a troubling new peak for violence, evil, disregard for life, or if it's just because that we have such constant access, such instantaneous news, and information that just makes it seem like it's worse than it's ever been. I know there are many good people. There are many wonderful people in life. There's many good and wonderful things about the world we live in. I don't want to be too negative. I, I, I don't want to misrepresent. I I know there's a lot of good. Yet because of sin, it's not a surprise that as we get closer and closer to the promised return of Christ, that the moral foundations of our society continue to crumble. Morality has taken a hit. And one of the most clear-cut evidences of this, in my opinion, is the erosion of the concept of the sanctity of human life. It seems that more and more people place very little value upon human life. To them, life is cheap. I believe that for our listening audience, however, most would hold a higher view of human life. We talk to a lot of Faith based audiences. And Jesus said that we are to be the salt and the light of the world. And while few of our listening audience may seriously contemplate having an abortion, to effectively be the light that we're called to be, believers might need to reevaluate their values, perhaps strengthen some of their convictions in order to be an influence to others who might seriously consider that. We need to speak up about pro-life issues, vote for candidates who support pro-life positions, let our opinions, our outrage be known to businesses who we may need to consider no longer supporting. It was a small article in the sports section this week, but the Seattle Storm of the WNBA has become the first professional sports team to partner with Planned Parenthood. Of course, since the campaign season, a number of celebrities, other left-leaning activists have pledged their support for the organization. But the Storm are the first professional sports organization to officially support what is the number one abortion business in the United States. Next month, the ownership group of the Storm will hold a stand with Planned Parenthood rally before a game with the Chicago, Chicago Sky, excuse me, which is scheduled to be broadcast live on ESPN2. They'll be donating $5 of every ticket sold for the game to the organization, and they're asking that businesses and corporations who support Planned Parenthood would purchase tickets that could be don- donated to local Seattle women and children groups. Additionally, the team will hold an online auction benefiting Planned Parenthood, which will include memorabilia from players. Team owner Don Trudeau said supporting Planned Parenthood is a great project for the women-owned, women-run team because it offers essential services to women. Trudeau said in a statement, access to affordable, quality health care, including a full range of reproductive care, is a critical precondition for anyone, especially girls and women, to pursue their dreams and grow into their best selves. The essential services provided by Planned Parenthood make the organization a natural ally and partner for the storm. The Storm and many others who support Planned Parenthood, they continue to prop it up, referring to it as reproductive health care provider. They intentionally, in my opinion, intentionally mislead the public by focusing on a very small portion of what it is that Planned Parenthood does and say that supporting health care is what they're doing when they support Planned Parenthood. What Planned Parenthood does most and what they do best is kill babies. They're an abortion machine masquerading as health care for women. One news report said that the abortions group annual report shows it performed 328,348 abortions on unborn babies in 2015. That's, that's 5,000 more than the previous year. Planned Parenthood performs approximately one third of the entire abortion count in the U.S., and they get about a half a billion. Dollars worth of taxpayer money to do it each year. i tell you, a clear indicator of what they're truly about is their insistence. They insist on being an abortion provider. President Trump offered to support an increase in taxpayer funding to Planned Parenthood if it would stop doing abortions, but Planned Parenthood has refused c e o Cecile Richards is on record of having called the offer insulting, which should tell you everything you need to know they that abortion is their business, that's what they do, that's what they choose to do. that's what they want to do. Yet the Seattle Storm are proud to align themselves with the controversial organization. The storm did not the storm did I should say make a point that players are under no obligation the players don't have to be involved with this but they said that they and the coaching staff have showed a lot of enthusiasm about the support of Planned Parenthood. Trudeau said we're doing this to help make sure that all women and girls have access to health care. Then wouldn't it be better then to support a local hospital? Wouldn't it be better to support a true health care provider in the area instead of an abortion chain? The fact that our tax dollars help fund the murder of innocent lives is an outrage. And I believe America will be judged by God for its decision to legalize abortion, and perhaps it already has. People may want to hide behind such rare circumstances as rape or risk to either mother or child as the reasons to allow abortions. But there is no doubt, there's no doubt in my mind that this is more a matter of convenience Bringing a baby into the world may not be convenient to the parents, so they justify killing it, and Planned Parenthood stands ready to help. It's such a hypocrisy that many states have what are called fetal homicide laws, and many others have varying kinds of penalties for attacks on women that result in harm to a baby that she is carrying. Laws make it murder to kill an embryo or a fetus intentionally, except in the cases of abortion. It's illegal to take the life of the unborn, if it's against the mother's will. But if it's okay with her, then it's legal. In the first case, the fetus is viewed as a living human, and the second, it's not. How does this make sense? The humanness of an unborn child is determined on a case-to-case basis? Isn't, Isn't that anarchy? When people define what is right based upon what they want to be right at that moment? Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. I do realize that it is a rare occasion when a talk program, talk radio program, or a conversation even between two people brings about a change of opinion. That doesn't happen very often, especially on such a deeply convicted issue as abortion. If you lean left, Fox News isn't changing your mind. No other right-leaning program is changing your mind. And the same can be said of CNN and other left-leaning programs if you lean to the right. A change of opinion most often comes with time. It comes as a result of one's own experiences, not as a matter of debate. And I would not expect that whatever argument Zach or I present, I would expect that you would agree or disagree based on the view that you already own. I'll be honest, more often than not, both sides of any debate can present reasonable basis for their views. There's highly intelligent people I get it who believe that it's okay to kill an unborn child. But I also understand that in second peter three three the Bible says that in the last days there will be scoffers who will walk about after their own lust. They follow their own desires. In verse five, it first refers, refers to them as being willingly ignorant of what the Bible says. Romans chapter 1 the bible says that people make the decision that even though they know of god they may even believe in him but yet they choose to follow their own way chapter 1 of romans verse 22 says professing themselves to be wise they became fools many times people who are blinded as a result of sin they, they laugh it off as either old fashioned or outdated but whether we see our sin want to see our sin, refuse to see our sin, see our sin and deny it, we're still accountable for it and we will still stand before God one day to answer for it. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Romans 14.12 says, So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. In the Word of God, the 139th Psalm, the psalmist refers to himself 10 times in the unborn condition with personal pronouns. He clearly declares his personhood while still in his mother's womb. Isaiah 49 says, Listen to me, O islands, and pay attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named me. And in Jeremiah one five, God speaking to the prophet says, And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. There's a host of other passages as well, which show how God views the child still in the womb. He makes no distinction between the humanity of the born and the unborn. In Exodus 21, verses 22 to 25, A law is given protecting the fruit of a woman's womb, a mother's womb, to the extent that if the life of the baby is lost due to the mother being hurt, then the offender is subject to his own life being taken. A life for a life, it says in Exodus 21, verse 23. Do you get that? We're talking about the womb, a life for a life. And there's many other clear factors as well. Before the end of the first month, there's a beating heart. The eyes and other organs are developing. At eight weeks, all the organs are functioning. Brain waves detected by the end of the fifth or sixth week. Six or nine weeks, the baby already has its own fingerprints. I think to deny that the baby is a life is to be willingly ignorant. There are other options apart from killing an innocent child. Abortion not only denies life to a baby, but it deprives would-be parents from adopting a child. And look, I, I don't minimize the emotion, the struggle, the pain that's involved in the decision to abort a pregnancy. But for those who have already walked that road, I can only say that God is willing and ready to forgive. First John one nine says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the same is true for any sin. We're ultimately going to stand before God and give an account for them, and we will be punished for them. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a physical death, which we'll all face one day, but there's also a spiritual death, which is eternal life in hell. Eternal life in hell, separated from a holy and righteous God. Jesus died on the cross so that if anyone believed he died, was buried and rose again, they could be forgiven of those sins. John 3.16 says, for, all, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. A broken relationship with God due to our sin can be restored by repenting, saying I'm sorry, asking his forgiveness. God's grace is greater than our sin. And though you are guilty, he is ready to forgive. What you need to do is repent of what you've done. Confess it as sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Folks, God loves you. He's willing to forgive you. He wants to give you everlasting life in heaven. If you've not come to a place in life where you've considered your sins and what they mean for you after you die, then I hope you would do that today. Don't wait. The outcome is too important. It's the it's the difference between an eternity in heaven, and an eternity in hell. If you want to be saved from your sins, ask God to forgive you. Tell him you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. Admit your guilt. Ask him to forgive you. Romans ten nine and ten says this, and I'll close here that that, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. All right, let me tell you something that I do like. ephesians four thirty two says "Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And I love this story because it shows the class and the dignity of the New York Yankees organization from top to bottom. What I like this week is Charleston Riverdogs, single-A affiliate of the New York Yankees, apologizing despite having done nothing wrong just to avoid offending others. Last week, Tim Tebow and his Columbia Fireflies, a New York Mets affiliate, visited the River Dogs for a series, and the home team had some fun by jokingly mocking Tebow's celebrity status. When a Fireflies batter came to the plate, The scoreboard would show the player's face, along with a weeping Tim Tebow in the background, and instead of the player's name, simply put up, not Tim Tebow. (laughs) And I thought that was fairly humorous. In addition, the team's mascot even got down on one knee to to pray, Tebowing, just as Tebow did during his NFL and college football days, and they played the Hallelujah Chorus each time Tebow came up. (laughs)
1: That's great.
0: No harm, no foul, just a little fun, right? No big deal. Wrong. It seems that a significant number of thin-skinned, delicate cycles were offended and complained. You see, this is why people hate Christians sometimes. This is why they hate Tim Tebow. And I get that they're looking for any reason to be hateful, but you guys just make it way too easy by complaining about the most insignificant things. What do you want them to do? Coddle Tebow at every stop in his ticket-selling tour for the Mets? Now, apparently the team received strong criticism, both on social media and actually during the game, for making fun of Tebow, so they offered an apology. While we believe that our promotions were poking fun at Mr. Tebow's celebrity status rather than his religion or baseball career, our intent was not to offend anyone. For the fact that we did offend, we are sorry. If there was one area I thought was too far The River Dogs mascot wore eye black featuring John 316, as Tebow did. But even that seemed fairly minor to me, and and Mm -hmm. I could simply move on with my life. Most fans thought it was just good-natured fun, but a couple, you know, they had a problem with it. And the ones that did think it was good-natured fun said they appreciated the classy apology. J.C. Sherbert. A a radio host for the ESPN affiliate down in that area said, "Whoever came up with the idea to make fun of Tebow's faith during the game should be fired ASAP." Now, slow down, tough guy. That's a little much. Yeah, nobody needs to be fired. It wasn't his faith they were mocking. Even Mets general manager Sandy Olson Alderson said that news told Newsday that it was all very minor league. Um, yeah, Class A minor league, to be precise. (laughs) Anyway, the Charleston River Dogs being big enough to apologize for offending the easily offended is what I like this week. that? you
1: like that? You like that? <laughs> my, you like that this week is a tweet from uh, expected top overall draft pick Markel Fultz who said, "I woke up today thanking God for everything." Per usual, my life is about to change in a few hours, and I am full of emotion. And he had a praying emoji and a, a crying emoji i like to see a kid this young with this much pressure on him at this point in his life who knows what it's all about and has his head in the right place. So Mark L. Fault's thanking God for everything, quote, per usual, is what I like this week. You like that? You like that? It's
0: time to say goodbye for this week. Please don't celebrate that in front of us because it is hurtful. This has been the Beyond the Game program. We'll be away next week, though we will have an encore presentation for you. So let us take an opportunity right now to wish you all a very safe and happy 4th of July holiday. Please consider partnering with our ministry of Sharing the Gospel through Sports Talk Radio. The Beyond the Game program is currently sending monthly support to a number of missionaries. Your contributions help us continue doing that. As well as airing the BTG, BTG show in new markets. Visit our website for more information, btgprogram.com and be sure to check out Myth and Mysteries. I've been telling you about this show for a little while. And if you enjoy myths, curious stories, unsolved mysteries, you'll love this podcast. My guy, Zach Barletta, does it with his brother. Myth and Mysteries available on iTunes and Google Player. Visit the website, mythandmysteriespod.com. For Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. Lord willing, we'll be back together again next week, right here at this same time, or as I just said, in two weeks. For now, be bold, be great this week, everybody.